itself as evil had come to a very, very bad pass. How would it come to this point? Complicated historical question. Sometimes it's just the mystery of evil. But in any case, something serious needed to be done to bring these people which were Catholic. So note this is an interesting situation. We're not talking about a crusade to go to the Holy Land. We're talking about a crusade, actually, that took place to bring back into the church a people who had, within a generation or two, all been in the church. But fundamentally, the heart of that was the Innocent III encouraged the foundation, the formation of the Dominicans who were going to go and preach and change the hearts and minds, which always is much more important than any other change that could come about. And so what I want to focus on is how the Dominicans were formed precisely in that context and how they were so perfectly suited to do that. One of the main aspects of that is, of course, you know that Dominicans are called the Order of Preachers. One of the things that particularly had been a part of the problem of why the Albigensians had made such inroads was that they had amazing preachers. And the, one of the most notable things about these preachers, and they were called the perfect, they led an extremely austere lifestyle, which was extremely impressive to the people. Extremely austere, very great penance. And so the people said, wow, this is amazing. And then in their minds they looked at, at first, the main preachers that were sent by the church were Cistercian monks who weren't living in especially extreme poverty. Of course, they were monks, and so they weren't extremely wealthy. But nonetheless, they were not showing a very austere lifestyle. And this made a very big difference to the people. And so the Albigensians were at this point, you could say, they excelled in preaching. And so the church realized, okay, there's, there's actually there's a misunderstanding going on here. The people are putting too big, too large a premium on just this aspect of austerity. But we need to know there is something legitimate here. There is, at the heart of Christianity, this aspect of a certain austerity. And so there came about, it's, 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 it's beautiful how in God's providence, this was the context for a kind of renewal within the church of preaching. And it was a kind of returning to what is called apostolic preaching. So what the church realized at this point is what we need, and this took place over the course of several years, most of all through the instrumentality of St. Dominic, what we need to do is we need to have a community of men that will literally be an order of preachers. And one of the best ways that I've heard it put that I think is a very good way of putting it is the church needs specialists. The church has specialists in different areas. Obviously, a central area for the church is preaching. And so the order of preachers is interesting. Why had there not been, as it were, specialists in this before? Well, this is part of God's providence and the growth of the church. But in any case, in God's providence, in response,
response to this unique situation in France in the 13th century. God has come to be that the church sees. We now need to encourage and have formed this order of specialists in preaching. And they will then be the answer to the Albigensians as preachers and will have great success. I'll come back to later. It's interesting to know, just to stick for the moment with kind of the story before we more focus on the spiritual. Um, the Dominicans had, depending, you hear differing stories, depending on how you look at it, they had some success in converting the Albigensians. They did not go in and change all the hearts right away and have all the people say, gosh, we need to immediately come back to the church. For indeed, it was a mere couple of years after the Dominicans had started that Innocent III realized that we need to go ahead with the crusade. And so for most of the years that the Dominicans were focusing on the preaching, at the very same time, Simon de Montfort, the main crusader, was going about a military campaign against these people. And so there obviously were any number of people the Dominicans did not succeed in reaching. It's a good opportunity to reflect upon, does God always call us to success? He calls us to faithfulness. He doesn't necessarily call us to success. The Dominicans had some success. It certainly was not complete. Now what I'd like to do is look at, and there's Roman number one there in your handout, Christian vocation and Dominican vocation. What I here want to give a basic outline of what the Dominican vocation is, and in doing so, I want you to know what I have in mind is to show how it really is an exemplar of Christianity as such. So my main point for the day is going to be this. Not all are called to be Dominicans or to live a precisely Dominican spirituality. Nonetheless, all of us can find in Dominican life and spirituality the keys to our own growth and holiness. And so, again, my main interest is not simply historical, and my main interest is not speaking to people who just feel a specific call to the Dominican life. You might feel that. Regardless of that, Dominican spirituality, and frankly, yes, I would even argue, is somewhat unique among the different spiritualities and communities within the church as regards giving us all an excellent example of precisely what it means to be Christian. And I think people will always, always find this a little bit comic, but when St. Thomas Aquinas, you know, is the great, greatest theologian of the church, in his treatise in the third part of the Summa, where he talks about the way of life that our Lord lived, he gives the varying characteristics of it, and as you're reading, all of a sudden it begins to, to dawn on you. He seems to be talking about our Lord as though he were Dominican. And he, in fact, gives an argument that our Lord lived the most perfect life. And if you look at the different aspects of our Lord's life in his 33 years, St. Dominic says it, in fact, matches up perfectly to the Dominican way of life. Where it says, indeed, our Lord's life was fundamentally, and first of all, interior life that then bore fruit in his preaching. And this is the fundamental structure of the Dominican life, which we'll see a little bit 
go along. So I just I say that by way of in, obviously in no way saying that there aren't wonderful things about all the other spiritualities and communities, orders in the church. But I think in God's providence, there actually is, I'll just say, something unique about the Dominican order as giving us an insight into what we're all called to as Christians. For fundamentally, what was St. Dominic doing? The Dominican life is a fruit of this amazing saint's relentless effort to go back to the apostolic life and to live the life of the apostles in its fullness. This is the way he spoke, and this is the way Dominicans have always understood themselves. Our life is a living the life of the original apostles in the fullest way possible. Overview of what that life looks like. Dominicans see themselves as called by God and the church to be, first of all, a member of a community a community of contemplative creatures. And it's, and it's, I'd say, all three of those terms are key. Community, contemplative, creatures. First of all, this community aspect. Here we have an image of the life of the church itself. Christian life is always in community. There is not Christian life lived. It is not lived in community. So first of all, Dominicans are always, first of all, living in community. They are, as we've already talked about, preachers. God has called them, the church has commissioned them to be the experts, the specialists in preaching. So then we bring in that third word. If they're to be the experts, the specialists in preaching, they have to be contemplative preachers. And here, uh, I present you with my favorite image that the Dominicans, particularly the early Dominicans, love to use. And it is one of fullness and overflow. But the question is, if one is going to preach, where does what one is preaching come from? And they simply use the image of a carafe of water. A carafe of water that slowly has filled. Once it is filled, and it continues as it were to be filled, then, and only then, it overflows. And key in the Dominican understanding of preaching, and preaching is a term that's used broadly, so there's a more specific, but there's a broader sense into which we're certainly all called to it. Preaching is always overflow. If it's not overflow, then it's not good preaching. True preaching is always overflow. Depth of interior life, which of course is nothing more and nothing less than communion with God, so that the carafe fills. Then, and only then, the carafe overflows. And what God has given now passes through to others. It happens in a community. It happens through contemplation. There is then the preaching. Never before had there been, just to give you a sense of how unique what actually happened here now with the Dominicans, never before had there been a combination. This is, this is the most striking thing about the Dominican order that you may or may not have realized before. 
a combination of stability and contemplative life on the one hand, and then what's called active, itinerant, mendicant preaching on the other. So stability and contemplative life on this hand, and on the other hand, itinerant, which means traveling, mendicant, which means begging, preaching. Now it's this itinerant, mendicant, preaching. That's what the Albigensians had been doing, where they, they own nothing. They beg, and then they just travel around and go and meet the people wherever they are. And this is what was, was so successful, whereas we're going out to the people, meeting them as it were where they are in the byroads, and with this great asceticism, and a willingness, of course, to have no possessions whatsoever. Benedictines, who have such a central place in the life of the church, are not in a position to do that. For the call of their life is a stability of community life around the liturgy in the monastery. They cannot be itinerant preachers. They simply can't. So there had not been any community that had been about going forth and in poverty and preaching, but at the same time would claim to have the monastic elements of a stable liturgical life. For right off the bat, you ask yourself, how can you possibly have a stable monastic life, liturgical life, and also be able to go out and, and travel and beg, not having the stability of your own possessions and preach to the people. But this is precisely what St. Dominic did. And, it's, and it's, it's a great tension. But obviously in God's providence it was designed to be, but that's exactly what happened. And they, in fact, succeeded in doing so. The other thing that is so unique about the Dominican order is never before had there been a community where the study of sacred doctrine was given such a primacy of place. I know that that might, that might sound strange. Well, surely the church is so intellectual. Study had always been seen as important. Of course, the Dominicans certainly don't have the corner on the market of studying. Nonetheless, that there was a community that was designed where study would be essential for all of them. Essential that it be given a primacy of place in their day. There simply hadn't been this done before. So those two things together made this community strike everybody at the time as absolutely strange. Where have these men come from? I'm going to reach to you right now uh, from something that's in your handout. From the fundamental constitution of the prior preachers. And you can now go back and forth between some of the readings are from the present constitution of the Dominicans, some are from what's called the primitive one, which was the very first one back at the beginning. So let's just let's just read that together and you have a sense of some of the things we were just talking about. We also undertake as sharers of the apostolic mission of the life of the apostles in the form conceived by St. Thomas living with one mind the common life, faithful in the profession of the evangelical councils, of course, poverty, chastity, obedience, which always goes with the religious life, fervent in the common celebration of the liturgy, 
especially at the Eucharist and the Divine Office, as well as other prayer, assiduous in study and persevering in regular observance. There you have it all brought together. All these practices contribute not only to the glory of God and our sanctification, but serve directly the salvation of mankind, since they prepare harmoniously for preaching, furnish its incentive, form its character, and in turn are influenced by it. These elements are closely interconnected and carefully balanced, mutually enriching one another, so that in their synthesis, the proper life of the order is established. A life in the fullest sense apostolic, in which preaching and teaching must proceed from an abundance of contemplation. I can't think of a better summation than that one right there of Dominican life. Let's get more specific now, and I want to look at a few features of it in particular. And you can follow along in the handout. If you look there at the bottom of page one, moving over to page two, I'm going to look at four specific features now of Dominican life. Sacrifice of the Mass, Liturgy of the Hours, Prayer, Meditation, and Study, and then Preaching. <coughs> Sacrifice of the Mass. Here, and as you know, my focus is going to be on the Dominican friars. Dominican nuns, Dominican sisters have a, have a wonderful role. It was always conceived as, as being fundamentally supportive of what the friars were doing. And it has its own unique characteristics. We're not going to go into this. I'm going to, just, I'm going to focus on the friars. So in the sacrifice of the mass, the friars, as a community, are united with the whole church in Christ the high priest, offering the most perfect worship to the eternal Father. I begin here because it's, it's critical to remember that if preaching is about bringing Christian life and good news to others, again, it can only come from those who live that life to its fullest. And so we'd be missing the entire point if we don't see that the Mass was, in fact, the heart of the order. And I just, I, I, I start with Vatican II there. The Mass is the source and the summit of Christian life. What a, what a great strong line, source and summit. In a sense, Christian life is about the Mass. Christian life is always most lived in the Mass. Of course, we, we hear this often. Sunday is centered on the Mass. Sunday should be the center of the work. We, the center of Sunday, is the Mass where we are most alive and everything else radiates out from that. That applies to us, that applies to the entire church, and of course it's going to be seen particularly in the Dominican life. Catechism of the Catholic Church there in your handout. The liturgy is the summit towards which the activity of the church is directed. It is also the font from which all her power flows. So everything leading up to the Mass, everything flowing out from the Mass, so presenting consideration, is right at the heart of who we are. Now we have Book of Constitutions of the Friar Preachers. In the liturgy, together with Christ, the brethren glorify God for the eternal plan of his will and for the wonderful order of grace. And they intercede with the Father of mercies for the whole church, as well as for the needs and the salvation of the whole world. Therefore, the celebration of the liturgy is the center and heart of our whole life, whose unity, especially, is rooted in it. 
go on now distributed to the hours the divine office reprieve Look at what the Catechism of the Catholic Church says about the Liturgy of the Hours there at the top of the second page. The mystery, CCC, Catechism of the Catholic Church, the mystery of Christ, which we celebrate in the Eucharist, permeates and transfigures the time of each day through the celebration of the Liturgy of the Hours, the Divine Office. So the beautiful thing here is this. The Liturgy of the Hours is fundamentally conceived by the Church as it, it's, it's second in the hierarchy. We speak of the hierarchy of prayers. Of course, the Mass completely stands by itself. Liturgy of Hours is always second. Why? It's made clear right there in the Catechism. The Liturgy of the Hours has always been conceived by the Church as precisely how the Mass is brought into the various hours of the day. Isn't that beautiful? The Mass itself is extended into the entire day by what is, and this also is called liturgy. The Mass is liturgy, and the Divine Office is liturgy. Liturgy is the official prayers of the Church as a whole. It is the spouse of Christ praying. So anything that's below liturgy is always going to then be a further extension of it and feeding back to it. But prayer of the church is mass spreading out into the entire day through the liturgy of the hours. Look at how the book of the Constitution of the Friars Preachers put it. The order of the liturgy of the hours shall be so arranged in every community that through their celebration the different times of the day will be truly sanctified. Not saying they're explicitly, but implying, again, it's bringing the source and summit of everything, the Mass, out into the entire day. Of course, this had always been the understanding. This is what the Benedictines particularly specialize in, in liturgical prayer at all hours of the day. So the, the challenge of the Dominicans is going to be, can we, can we, can we take that and live that as religious at its height. Because of religious are living the life of the church at its height. They're the archetype of what the rest of us try to do in the ways that we can. They're living the life of the church at its height. And the Dominicans are going to try to be, as it were, just like the Benedictines on that. Going on to the next prayer meditation study. Here, we can simply say the friars are going to go to the next level. We already have the hierarchy of the Mass and then the Liturgy of the Hours. Let's think of prayer, meditation, and study, these three that Dominicans link together, as an extension of the first two. The Mass has already been extended into the also official Liturgy of the Liturgy of the Hours. And now that is going to form the rest of the day through private prayer, meditation, and study. And of course, particularly as regards study, well, you could say as regards prayer and meditation too, the main thing that needs to be studied is, of course, what? The Word of God, right? So isn't it, isn't it interesting? In the Mass, the Word of God is directly, we just said the Word of God himself is praying. 
can also speak as much as the Son is often as the Father. We can also say the Word Himself is being perfectly praised and adored in the Mass. The Liturgy of the Hours is the extension of the praise of the Word. Now in prayer, meditation, and study, the Word of God is going to further come into and form the Father. So it's a further effort now in being receptive of the Word by praying on the Word, meditating on the Word, and studying the Word. Now a quotation from the Primitive Constitution of the Friars Preachers, which, which was written um, in St. Dominic's lifetime. We're jumping in the middle of the sentence. It's kind of a funny structure. How they should be intent on study, so that by day and by night, at home or on a journey, they should be reading or reflecting on something. Whatever they can, they should try to commit to memory. Now, this is a, a, a particularly beautiful point, and we'll come back to it as we see some examples of this in the Dominican life. But the Dominicans put a big emphasis on memory, and even on memorizing. And so just look at the beautiful structure of praise of the word in the, in the two original forms, mass, liturgy, hours. Now, the further imbuing of us with the word of God for prayer, meditation, and study, and reading it and meditating and studying in such a way that it literally becomes part of you, such that you have memorized it to the extent possible, such that it just is, as it were, then starts to, to ooze out of you. I mean, they have this conception of just the, the, the deepest possible way of being completely imbued by the Word of God. So that the craft is completely full with the Word. So that what will overflow? And it, 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 well, I'm about to, about to come to the examples. I'm about to give you the example. I realize okay, no, it's coming inside your sheet, so let's wait. Finally, preaching. Of course, we barely need to say anything about preaching at this point. The neat thing is, once, once we've seen these other points, we already, we already know now what preaching is going to be. We've, we've now praised the Word, we've received the Word, and now we're going to share the Word, or another great way of putting it as our Lord, but sow the Word. So the great image our Lord loves to use for the Word is it's, it's so life-giving, it's a seed. So as the farmer sows the seed, which is the source seeds, are always the source of all life, the Word, which is the source of all life and has completely imbued the friar, preaching is nothing more, nothing less than sowing the Word, that those seeds grow into the same life in the others that they are in the one who's living in. Isn't that just a beautiful image from our Lord of, is there anything in nature that's more amazing than the seed? All life, plant, animal, comes from seed. So our Lord chooses seed. The Word is the seed. It's, it's, it's where all life, all true life, comes from the Word of God. So now his preachers, having been filled, as it were, from top to bottom, bottom to top, with the Word, they're doing nothing other than sowing it. Now isn't it also beautiful to think by our Lord's own image? Sometimes it grows, sometimes it doesn't. 
the preacher does what he can. He sows the word, and he can be the most perfect preacher as our Lord was. And we know some falls on rocky ground, some dot, dot, dot. But that's all the preacher can do, is be like our Lord and simply share. The key thing is not on your handout that I want you to notice about the Dominican life. It really kind of sums up what we've seen is there's a certain order. There's an order and an end and in a sense of a goal. If you look back at these four aspects that we've just looked at, there's a certain order among them. I've already presented to you in such a way that these aren't just four equal aspects. There's a certain order among them, and there's a certain goal here. And so this is what I want to ask you. If you look at these four things of the Mass, and then the Liturgy of the Hours, and then prayer meditation study, and then preaching, you can see how they were, one was leading to the next. But here's the question. Is the order linear? Or is it ultimately circular? D. It is. For the fruit of preaching, ultimately, most ultimately, should be what? If the seed's been sown and the seed is growing, what will this life, as it were, most grow into and lead back to? It will take you right back to the beginning. And so the height, remember the source and summit of all life is the mass, right? I mean, the mass is always what sets the church apart, and it's always what we're most proud of, for it is Christ, and we're being invited into the perfect praise, as we're the heart of the life of God. So the, the beautiful thing is we can say, so Dominican life then in a nutshell, mass, liturgy of hours, prayer meditation studies, so that's all taking it from the source and summit, now fully imbuing life, now it overflows to others, and to the extent that by God's grace it succeeds, those people are called into the communal contemplative life that the whole process started with. The life of the church, the height of which is the mass. And thus, as it were, it starts over again. So we might say Dominican life is about bringing others to where it itself begins. Fair. Before I take any questions, I want to um, wrap up our first section here by giving you a few examples from the life of St. Dominic and St. Thomas Aquinas just to help you see in the flesh here um, them doing this in their lives. I choose St. Dominic, of course, the founder of St. Thomas, a, a great teacher and a different kind of example. So I, I'm just going to first treat together number one and number two, the Mass and the Liturgy of the Hours. So both liturgy, I'm going to treat them together and just look at a couple things in St. Dominic. First of all, look at the quotation I give you from in this um, 
main thing there is a quotation from, from this book. I put it in your bibliography at the end called St. Dominic's Times by a French Dominican named Father Pierre. Numerous witnesses attest that they never saw St. Dominic celebrate Mass without tears. Never saw him celebrate Mass without tears. One witness also recounts how during the office in the priory, so going on the divine office, he would walk around on each side of the choir, urging the brethren by word and example to sing well and attentively and to recite the psalms devoutly. He was so faithfully intent on what he was praying that he was never distracted by any tumult <coughs> noise. So the, these are two testimonies of St. Dominic's life, of how, again, we always think of St. Dominic the preacher. Those were giving testimonies of his life, saying, here is a man whose life centered around the Mass, never celebrated it without weeping, and was most intent upon the chanting, which they did in a kind of Benedictine way. Although here's the interesting thing, you think, well, but so they have they have these friaries, but they're also often out on the road. It was it was a funny mixture. St. Dominic was known, it says, for celebrating a solemn high mass, even while he was, it says, on the road preaching. Now I think what that means is that even while he was on the road preaching, he slipped into the monasteries that were nearby and would actually stop and celebrate a, a solemn mass. Again, you, you, you would, we're all, some of us are becoming very familiar, some perhaps my youth know about the, about the old mass. I mean, a, a solemn mass simply takes much more time. And so it's kind of interesting. Here he is out on the road, but no, he would he would often stop, slip in, and the friars slip in with them, and they celebrate a solemn mass. I mean, you, you, you see the kind of tension. I mean, you can imagine a Benedictine kind of going, what's going on here? Kind of, you know, being out on the road and slipping. How does this fit together? Well, in any case, this is what he's known for. It also says that often, and one witness says that often while he was traveling with the brethren on the road, they would hear the bells of the monasteries calling the monks to matins early in the morning, very early in the morning. They'd stop, take out the breviary, and they would chant it right there. So, so somehow preserving the monastic element, but combining it with being out and around. Here's St. Here's Thomas Aquinas, just to change gears a little bit, and just hear something that he writes here about the Mass, to give us how this Mass of Dominican Theologian is conceiving of what the Mass is. Some of you, are, this is actually from the Office of Readings, right now in the present Breviary on Corpus Christi. How precious and wonderful is this banquet, which brings us salvation and is full of all delight. What could be more precious? Is not the meat of calves or kids that is offered as happened in the old law? At this meal, Christ, the true God, is set before us to eat. What could be more wonderful than this sacrament? No sacrament contributes more to our salvation than this, which purges away our sins, increases our virtues, nourishes our minds with an abundance of all the spiritual gifts. Finally, no one is capable of expressing the delight of this sacrament, through which the sweetness of the Spirit is tasted at its source. And the memory is celebrated of that surpassing love which Christ showed in his passion. Uh, moving along quickly to prayer meditation and study. 
I just, first of all, would just call to your mind, are you all familiar with the um, paintings of Fran Jalico? Um, just looking around the room. You don't have any in my pocket. Uh, you recognize them. They're, they're, I don't have any Fran Jalico paintings around these. That's in. Sorry. There is a great gallery, a couple of great galleries on, online. He's one of the most famous medieval painters. Well, Frangelica, just so you know, is also known as Blessed John of Fiesole. Dominican. Um, and his most famous paintings were on the cells of the Dominican friary in Florence, and it's called San Marcos. But there's a very famous one that you would have seen, uh, perhaps, of St. Dominic, and he has, he has the traditional tonsure where his top is bald, and he just has the, and he, and he, and he just has, he just has the book, he just has the book open before him. And this, this is one of the main ways that St. Dominic is, is remembered by Dominicans as having scripture open before him. There's many other, other beautiful paintings of those different scenes of the life of Christ, the fascinating things, and this is also another way to, to, to recognize Dominic's paintings, is around the scenes from the gospel, he paints these little Dominicans there watching. No, you, can, you can picture that. They're kind of lining each side, looking on as, for instance, our Lord is being scourged, or our Lord is rising from the, from the tomb. And so the, the whole notion here that was being constantly conveyed is we, in our prayer, meditation, our study, are literally going back to these happenings. In our studying of Scripture, we are present to these saving actions in the life of Christ. So again, Frangelico's paintings are, are both in their original positioning as being on the, I mean, these amazing paintings would be in the cell where there'd just be one friar in that cell and this unspeakable masterpiece is for that friar's meditation. And as he's looking on, he sees the other brothers of his community painted on looking with him at that. So here is Dominican prayer, meditation, and study that in, enhanced by the senses here of this beautiful painting. We are going back and being present to, through the word of God, those saving actions. Um, prayer, I just want you to know that I have placed at the ends of your handout uh, St. Thomas Aquinas' prayer for the attainment of heaven. Maybe we could even end today with that when we do end. Um, but that, that's just kind of a great example. So great to look at these prayers that these Dominicans wrote. Finally, and then we'll, we'll take a break. The, the fourth of, of preaching, one of the great biographies of St. Dominic is called St. Dominic, the Grace of the Word. And there's a theological understanding here. One of the charismatic gifts, they're literally called by the church charismatic gifts, one of them is speaking in tongues. Another is simply called the grace of the word. And the thing about the charismatic gifts, according to St. Thomas's theology, is they are not given to everybody. 
different people are given different charismatic gifts for the sake of the good of the whole church. And the grace of the word is a charismatic gift given to some who are false to preach. And the beautiful thing about it is it's pointing out the greatest effect that preaching ever has is when it is graced by God. And all I wanted to point out is this is the way the Dominicans understood their preaching. That fundamentally they were nothing more, nothing less than instruments of God. They are sharing the word that God in their prayer had given to them. It's ultimately what God's doing, not what we're doing. And if by the grace of the word, that special charismatic gifts, we have great fruits, then that is because God is tending his vineyard. Let's, um, let's do this. Let's just take a five-minute break, and we'll begin with questions. And then I'm going to go also just to some practical implications. All right, five-minute break. Let your legs have a snack. Any questions? Any questions? So I'll just keep sailing along, not, but I'm um, happy to take any questions that they have a risk. It's only the practical. Yes, go ahead. Just on the practical, do they have any, um, I mean, were they out on the road all the time, or did he try and balance with saying, oh, six months on the road, six months in a monastery or something? Yeah. You know, I think I agree. I don't uh, have a precise answer to that. Um, my, my sense is, though, that it was, um, I, I don't think it was quite like the Navy, uh, by, by in the sense of having such large uh, chunks. I, I, think it, I think it was, I think it was more of a, a constant combination of, okay, the, the idea was that you would have these priories where you'd be able to have the community, and then they and then they'd go out from there. Now, of course, the thing is, for a long time, they were very quickly expanding, and then they'd be and then they'd be sending friars out to areas where there's not a friary yet. But I think the basic model, by my understanding, is that um, in, in order to have this combination of stability with the itinerant preaching, there would there would always be which they can come back to and have that community regular liturgical life in from which then they're constantly going out and doing the different things that they're doing. But of course, sometimes it was even that when they're spreading or they're going going into Poland. I mean, there's so many great stories. Just um, for your reference, anyone who's happened in Poland, um, the great apostle of Poland, it was at this time that Poland really started to become what it still is today. So a basically Catholic, and St. Hyacinth, uh, one of the early Dominicans, was the major force there. It's just a, a, an outrageous story of the success of preaching in so again, I mean, it's sometimes going into unknown, unchartered um, areas and not having the stability of the priory. Fundamentally, priory stability going out from there and able to to uh, come back. And some of these things have developed a little bit over time. Dominicans are a little do more things. Very soon, they started also. So part of their preaching was teaching in universities, because of course it fit with, with with their study, and so that also was. An so that's not quite so itinerant. Although again, though they would come back, be in the friary, and the friary still was living um, um, by begging, etc. Any other questions at the moment? Yes. This is the comment something I think I remember. Hopefully, correct me if I'm wrong. 
isn't there a story about him um, spending all night with an innkeeper? Yes. And so wherever that was, was not necessarily a fire and converting that morning. Right. Right. That's, the, that's, that's, that's exactly right. Although that story um, is actually before he founded the community oh. yet. Oh, but that's okay. I mean, because it still it, it still would work. But I mean, that was that was when he first was traveling through with Bishop Diego and discovering the this 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 terrible heresy and what in 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 Pristania. Um, but but nonetheless, that's that's taken as a great as a great example of what the of what the Dominicans would do. Of course, you know one of the one of the neat. Uh, lines here about St. Dominic is that his, his days were given to men, but his nights were given to God. Of course, there we see sometimes uh, sometimes uh, it could be better around. All right. Yes? You, your notes say that he preferred the Gospel to Matthew. Can you explain why Matthew? Um, my, my understanding of that is uh, that it's, it's 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 as simple as um, Matthew kind of taken as the as the as the foundational gospel. It's of course one of the three synoptics, and it's kind of the 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 fullest. It's so in, in general, um, um, I, I, not being a scripture scholar, I wouldn't directly comment on it, it, what the precise reason is that Matthew's only given that primacy, but it simply traditionally has been. Um, taken to be not that it was the first written, but simply that it's, it's kind of the fullest. And, and if you're going to go to one synoptic gospel, that is that's the one that traditionally was gone to. Anything else at the moment? Right. Well, again, don't. Now we'll even be more, um, as it were, informal as we as we turn to. Uh, the kind of uh, practical. I'm, I'm on in the handout on page three. Plan for the renewal of Christian life. Um, yeah, fundamentally, our, our Christian life. Um, and what I've done first is I is I sought to just choose two principles. Of course, there's a different way we could we could have expressed these, but I, I, I thought two things would be nice to draw out something that we can take from Dominican life and apply immediately to wherever we are in our life as Catholics, as Christians. This is something that we could we could take with us. So, principle number one: worship especially liturgical worship, is the source and the goal of all that we do. In, in, in one, one, one way I'd, I'd like to like to put it is this way. I mean, it's, it's all about life. I mean, even the great philosopher, you know, I, I teach philosophy. Theology is my first love. I'm not interested in philosophy in as much as it helps us understand theology better. Here, here's a simple instance. Aristotle would say, it, it's about life. We're obviously designed to be alive in amazing kind of ways. Not just alive in the sense of breathing, but what life do we live? And we all use the words. Something never changed in how men use words. We, what kind of life are you living? Worship is life at its height. This is not this is not some highest throwaway line. It's just the truth. Worship is where human life is most lived. 
And it's important sometimes to go back to those basic principles and say, okay, I, I, I would have granted that point. I guess I wouldn't disagree with that point. Do we, as the Dominicans would, take that and meditate upon that point, assimilate it, and try to realize what that means? I'm most alive when I'm worshiping God. This clearly is at the heart of our Catholic understanding for, I mean, ultimately, and I love talking to students about this, because it's kind of a challenging point. When we think of the next life, indeed, do we not speak that way? The next life, what is the next life? Where, God willing, we will be spiritually alive, unendingly. What will we be doing? All the extraneous things we do now will have served the purpose and will fall away. And then we will be precisely entering into the life of the Trinity, where we will be with the angels and saints, worshiping him forever. So we just have that little insight of, it, it, that's why it is, should be, the source and the goal of absolutely everything we do. And again, the beautiful thing is all what we call religious life, those religious communities, are always a reminder of that. And that's, of course, why they live poverty and chastity and obedience, so that all extraneous things fall away and their life is completely centered around worship to be assigned to the rest of us in the church that that's what life is about. And they are a sign of the next life by beginning now, what we'll all do then. So Dominicans and any other religious community serve as a sign of that. So isn't that a beautiful basic principle to take for ourselves? And Catholic, uh, Catholic catechism there. In your hand out, finally, by the Eucharistic celebration, we already unite ourselves with the heavenly liturgy and anticipate eternal life when God will be all in all. Isn't that beautiful? Vatican II, in liturgy, full public worship is performed by the mystical body of Jesus Christ, that is, by the head and his members. From this it follows that every liturgical celebration, because an action of Christ to the priest and to his body, which is the church, is a sacred action surpassing all others. No other action of the church can equal its efficacy by the same title and to the same degree. So, if there's, if there's one thing I've learned in studying philosophy, it's that we always, if we want to renew something, we have to go to what is the goal. And of course, this is this fundamental business principle. If you want to fix something, you want to do something right, you always ask first, what's the goal? Otherwise, how could you judge? How could you make a plan for anything else? The most fun foundational principles that there is in life. As Christians, we know that's the goal. The goal is life and life to the full. It's worship. We have to begin by reckoning with that and saying, okay, somehow my life too, though I'm not called to be religious, somehow my life too is called to be completely ordered around worship. Principle two, an interior life of communion with the word of God overflows and gives form to our specific vocations. Here we get a little bit more, a little bit more specific, though of course this very much leaves open how it is actually applied. An interior life of communion with the word of God overflows and gives form to our 
specific vocations. Here, I'd like to take you back to, I think, one of the most remarkable lines in the Gospel, where we might put it this way. When our Lord wanted to honor his mother, who, of course, is the perfect Christian, what did he say of her? What did he say? Someone in the crowd says, blessed is the woman that bore you and the breast that nursed you. And he says, rather, I'll tell you what to say about my mother. Thank you for saying that, as it were. Now, I, I'll tell you what I think when I look at my mother. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Just seems to me that therein we could take one way, and obviously a key way, not the only way, but if our Lord chose that as how he speaks of his mother, and he did it on a couple of occasions, she's one who heard the word and kept it. And obviously we can read it on so many levels. We can think of the, the incarnation. I mean, this is hearing and keeping the word. But obviously, here also we have the Dominican life. The only thing we have to do is listen to the word and let it bear fruit in our lives. The only thing. If we do that, we're like the Blessed Mother, and we will be perfect. So, as, as a principle then, for the plan of renewal, we can follow the Dominicans, we can follow our Lord there and how he speaks of the Blessed Mother. Our life is about being imbued with the word, and then somehow we, as laymen and laywomen, are called to have that overflow take place in our specific vocations. The overflow into preaching is a more obvious one. But you and I have to ask ourselves, how does my interior life, which must be first in my life, because that's where I'm most alive, again, mass and the other things flowing out, now we might not be able to do the liturgy hours, so we might be able to do it somewhat. Certainly prayer meditation study to a certain extent is within our reach. We'll come to that again in a moment, there are ways that we can try to do that. But given that we're doing that, how can we think in terms of that should make a difference for our specific vocations. Again, we can only get so specific here today, but if nothing else, if we leave here with the right burning question on our forehead, how can my interior life form my specific vocation, my marriage, my job, my coaching, my etc.? I just want to give you this, this also this, this amazing line um, from Deuteronomy that you know is at the is at the center of uh, Jewish life. I mean, this this quotation here is what the Jews of the Old Testament went back to as this is where God was telling us what He wants us to be. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart. Jews could, could, could just speak these lines for you. They know them by heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way. And when you lie down. 
bribes, and you shall bind them as a sign upon your hands, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Of course, you know, the words in question, of course, were the major command to love God, your whole heart, your whole mind, your whole soul. Those are the words. But of course, it applies to the other words beyond that. But is it sometimes, I think, you know, it's interesting here. God actually commanded the Jews to literally write these words down all over the place. And then they said them several times a day. I sometimes ask myself, why, why, why don't we as Christians do that too? And at least take some of his words and simply have them committed to memory and have them, as it were, around us all the time, forming our day. But that was at the heart of the Jewish understanding of living the good life. So, it's your opinion with the Word of God overflowing, giving form to our specific vocations. Now what I, I have done is specific practical suggestions. First of all, towards deepening our interior life. I chose what's called Lexio Divina, which is simply Latin for divine reading, and put a couple quotations for you in here from Benedict XVI. It strikes me as this is very timely. Let's look together at what uh, he says here. In this context, I would like in particular to recall and recommend the ancient tradition of Lexio Divina, the diligent reading of sacred scripture, accompanied by prayer, brings about that intimate dialogue in which the person reading hears God who is speaking and in praying responds to him with trusting openness of heart. If it is effectively promoted, this practice will bring to the church, I am convinced of it, a new spiritual springtime. So I'm really excited to share this with you because this was, of course, said by our present Pope just a few years ago. And he's taking something that was central in the monastic tradition long before the Dominicans, and the Dominicans very much continue. In a phrase that, I think, that for whatever reason, hasn't particularly been part of common piety. I, I don't know about you, I, I grew up with a number of pious practices, and I had never so much just heard of Alexio Divina myself until a handful of years ago. So it seems that there's a renewal of this practice in the Holy Mother Church wanting to point this out to us, and it's, and it's supremely Dominican. Look at what Pope Benedict gives us in that little quotation there. He first of all tells us what Lectio Divina is. And it's nothing more and nothing less than diligent reading of sacred scripture accompanied by prayer. That's all that this divine reading is. It's reading scripture prayerfully in literally a spirit of prayer. He then gives its key fruit. It is a dialogue with God wherein, in some important sense, God will be speaking to you. In which the person reading hears God who is speaking and in praying responds to him with trusting all of us apart. And then 
the Pope expresses his confidence of the role of this in renewing the church. Here he takes John Paul II's phrase of a new springtime in the church and says, if we effectively promote Lexia Divina, I, I am personally convinced, says our Pope, that a new spiritual springtime of the church will come. So that's why I wanted to, to begin with kind of taking for granted the centrality of the Mass as the source and summit, and that's the extent that we can participate in the liturgy hours of the also liturgical prayer. As it were, just beyond that, I suggest for your consideration that the Pope is saying right after that comes this amazing practice of divine reading where we prayerfully read, pray over the Word of God, God speaks to us, and then this needs to be a key of our interior and our prayer life. I, um, top of your page four, our quotation from the Catholic Church, the Lectio Divina, where the Word of God is so read and meditated that it becomes prayer, is thus rooted in the liturgical celebration. That's actually in the section on the Liturgy of Hours. So, again, this, this, everything is connected in this hierarchy of the interior life. Here the Catechism is talking about the Liturgy of Hours, which you already have said comes forth from the Mass. And now it's saying this Lectio Divina as coming forth from our Liturgy of the Hours, which of course is very scripture-based. Now we're going to be praying and meditating upon the Word of God in our private prayer. One to the look at, we heard the nine ways of prayer, this little book that you can buy, it's called The Nine Ways of Prayer of St. Dominic. It's, it's a very, very beautiful, simple thing that just is very helpful for prayer because it gives these nine different things that he did. And the interesting thing is, every one of them is connected with a different bodily position. And there's famous little paintings that paint St. Dominic in the position in question. You might find it very, very helpful for prayer. I think it's, it's, it's also very interesting that, again, Dominicans being very aware that bodily surroundings, usually with paintings and bodily positions, make a big difference on how we're being able to concentrate. Apparently, St. Dominic would assume these different positions precisely as enhancing his prayer. Let's just read together this, this beautiful eighth way of prayer. The Holy Father Dominic also had another beautiful way of praying, full of devotion and grace. After the canonical hours and the grace which is said to come after meals, the Father would go off quickly on his own to a cell or somewhere, sober and alert and anointed with the spirit of devotion, which he had drawn from the divine words which had been sung in choir, again, that's the divine office, or during the meal. So a typo. There he would sit down to read or pray, recollecting himself in himself, and open some book before him, arming himself first with the sign of the cross, and then he would read. And he would be moved in his mind as delightfully as if he heard the Lord speaking to him. As the psalm says, I will hear what the Lord God is saying in me. It was as if he were arguing with a friend. At one moment he would appear to be feeling impatient, nodding his head energetically, then he would seem to be listening quietly. Then you would see him disputing and struggling and laughing and weeping all at once, fixing his gaze, submitting, then again quietly speaking and beating his breast. If anyone was inquisitive enough to want to spy on him secretly, he would find that the Holy Father Dominic was like Moses, who went into the innermost deserts and saw the burning bush, and the Lord speaking and calling him to him to humble himself. The man of God had a prophetic way of passing quickly from reading 
to prayer, and from meditation to contemplation. The Nine Ways of Prayers are also a beautiful book that is in your bibliography, also called The Early Communities. I find this example, this one in particular, the one that others also, of very practical, and even, even just here there's not so much emphasis on the bodily position, although it's, it's mentioned, simply sitting. It's a prayer, but this is different. We're sitting because we're reading, of course, one can kneel also. And that aspect of a great example of what Lexia Divina actually looks like. We're reading the words of God, but we're seeing it as if it's speaking to me, and so I stop and I actually, as it were, speak back. Another practical suggestion, we'd be doing a great disservice if we didn't mention the rosary. Well, prayer obviously is particularly associated with the Dominicans. It's not known exactly the historical connection. Frankly, I don't think that that is terribly important. What's most important is it fits very wonderfully with the Dominican life. The Dominicans have always uh, been very much advocates of it, and the church is very much taking that up also. I have a quotation here from John Paul II's letter on the rosary. But the most important reason for strongly encouraging the practice of the rosary is that it, meant, is it represents the most effective means of fostering among the faithful that commitment to the contemplation of the Christian mystery, which I proposed in the apostolic letter of Novo Millennio Inuente, as a genuine training in holiness. What is needed is a Christian life distinguished above all in the arts of prayer. I think it's fair to say the understanding of, of, of the church has always been, here is a way of praying that is accessible to absolutely everybody. Originally, the thought was people, common people in the fields are not going to be able to stop and join the monks in the liturgy of the hours. What they can do is pray the rosary. You know, that's why there were 150 Hail Marys, because of the 150 Psalms. So we think of it as an extension of the liturgy of the hours. We see it precisely in the context of this is, again, a contact with the Word of God, where it's both a prayer in the sense of a prayer petition, a prayer of praise, but it's also a prayer in which we are looking to be informed, imbued through our meditation with the Word of God. Another beautiful quotation here, a couple more from the Pope. If the liturgy, as the activity of Christ in the church is a saving action par excellence, the rosary too, as a meditation with Mary on Christ, is a solitary contemplation. By immersing us in the mysteries of the Redeemer's life, it ensures that what he has done and what, what he has done and what the liturgy makes present is profoundly assimilated and shapes our existence. You see again the theme of the rosary is this further step in that line of assimilating, being imbued with the word. It's making the word of God more present to us. It's making what goes on in the mass more present to us. Mary's contemplation is above all of remembering. We need to understand this word in the biblical sense of remembrance as a making presence of the works brought about by God in the history of salvation. The thing that so struck 
that is so striking about Pope's letter on the rosary is he constantly is referring to contemplation. Of course, one thing that I, a famous motto of the Dominicans I did not give you earlier that fits with everything we've been seeing is to contemplate and then share the fruits of contemplation with others. Again, in that kind of linear and ultimately circular unfolding contemplation is the interior life, it is that contact with God's word. And here, the Pope sees the rosary as primarily contemplative, as opposed to being a petition. It, it, it certainly is a petition, too, but as a way of deepening the interior life and contact with the Word. I now, so those, those are the two practical suggestions I think we particularly take with us in the Dominicans as regards deepening our interior life. Now I turn, moving towards wrapping up, with just a couple of ones that are not about so much deepening our interior life, though of course consistent with it, family life in the home. Reproducing the atmosphere of Nazareth in our homes. Interestingly, nice tie back there with the letter on the rosary. Here are some, some interesting things that the Pope says. I think this brings us very down to the very concrete things that you and I are likely to be challenged with in our own lives. At times, parents suffer acute disappointments at the failure of their children to resist the seductions of the drug culture, the lure of an unbridled hedonism, the temptation of the violence, and the manifold expressions of meaningless and despair. Now, if you ever wonder whether the Pope is aware of what we're up against in a very concrete way, I mean, in, in a sense, doesn't that right there say what all the families are up against? Right out there across the street, as it were. This is the world that we live in. And he's saying, why is it that so many parents are finding ourselves, what's happening? Here I have all these convictions, and I'm trying to pass these on to my children, and they seem to be slipping through my fingers. And we look at our even Catholic schools and think, what, what's going on here? Here they're learning these good things, but he goes on, up page five in your handout. Many of the problems facing contemporary family, this, this is some of the most concrete, getting right down there into the, into the bowels of the problem writing John Paul II that I've seen. Many of the problems facing contemporary families, especially in economically developed societies, result from their increasing difficulty in communicating. Families seldom manage to come together, and the rare occasions when they do are often taken up with watching television. To return to the recitation of the family rosary means filling daily life with very different images. Images of the mystery of salvation, the image of the Redeemer, the image of his most blessed mother. The family that recites the rosary together reproduces something of the atmosphere of Nazareth. Its members place Jesus at the center. They share his joys and sorrows. They place their needs and their plans in his hands. They draw from him the hope and the strength to go on. What I'd like to throw at you here is here that John Paul II is giving us a plan that fits perfectly with what we've been seeing in this in this Dominican conception of life that very much speaks to us precisely, and this point I'm just speaking in terms of family life. We're all parts of families in some sense. Some of this is more relevant for if we happen to have younger children or teenagers, but it's, it's, it's relevant for all of us. 
maybe it's, maybe it's our grandchildren. We all have family homes, and in that home, we're trying to live a Christian life. John Paul II particularly focuses our attention on what images and what words fill our home. Right, just, just in spirit of our theme of receiving the word, hearing the word, and having it bear fruit in our lives, an extremely practical question that we can ask ourselves is, are we cultivating an atmosphere in our home, no matter what stage in life our, our home is at, that is deeply conducive to hearing the word and keeping it. Do we look at our home, including everything, the architecture of it, the art within it, the schedule certainly within it, What's red here? Are there things really red here? What is ever heard? Is the music heard? <coughs> what kind of music is it? Is the television on? What's on? Are there conversations? What are the conversations of this home about? For life is lived in the home. Or another way of looking at it is it, it, it should be. And of course, the other problem is if nobody's home, that's a problem. So how can we think in terms of, the, you know, the, the, we speak of the family as a kind of domestic church. In certain ways, the home is like a monastery, isn't it? There's obvious differences. But perhaps, there should be obvious similarities too. Is the house itself a place of prayer throughout the day? Yeah. A holy conversation, holy words. And a challenging aspect of that is just one part. I think it's something, it's sometimes it's good to realize things that will be challenging for us, but also are the things that we can most directly work on. Things such as, again, radio and television. These are things we have direct and immediate control over. Could we make a large step towards bettering the atmosphere of the home by just taking certain simple steps right there. Again, what are we looking at? What are we listening to? What are we speaking of? By cultivating in our home, as John Paul II puts it, the atmosphere of Nazareth. I don't, I don't intend, when I say next, to, to judge parents. God knows I have my own problems as a parent, and I realize how these things are extremely difficult, and so it's something that we just need to, to work together on. But I wonder sometimes whether some an obvious thing that John Paul II is referring to that parents might be missing when they're wondering, why have some, many, all of my children seem to be very imbued by, by values of the culture that we're in? Well, 
is the house literally itself imbued with the sights, sounds, and smells of the Word of God? Or is, does, does my home look, sound, and smell like other homes of our culture that are not focused at all on being worried about the only thing we have to do is prepare ourselves to receive this word. I'll conclude by just the other thing that you have there in your handout is the Lord's Day. And I like it thinking about this point again simply because it's so eminently practical. It's something that we could just say, you know, sure, that's something we can do right now. We're doing better than we're doing right now. John Paul II's abstract letter on the Lord's Day. Sharing in the Eucharist is the heart of Sunday. But the duty to keep Sunday holy cannot be reduced to this. In fact, the Lord's Day is lived well if it is marked from beginning to end by a grateful and active remembrance of God's saving work. That's pretty challenging, isn't it? It's, it's, it's a beautiful letter. I really highly recommend if you haven't looked at the rest of the um, John Paul's chapters, D.S. Domine, on, on the Lord's Day. Putting it in, if I might put it in, referring to the great Dominican theologian St. Thomas, what St. Thomas loves to say about Sunday is this. On Sunday, we should focus on doing, most of all, what we were created to do. In a sense, in a sense, it's, you might put it this way, Sunday is where we have the opportunity to, I don't think this is exaggerating too much, take it properly, to be like monks, to be like religious, those blessed religious who are called to be the signs all the time of the height of life that we're all called to in the next life. We all, though, have Sunday, which is set apart so that whatever my profession is, it doesn't matter anymore because I don't do it. I have been given that blessed freedom to set that aside and to live what my life is about. And St. Thomas also says, on Sunday, we do what we will do forever in heaven. That's what Sunday's about. So maybe we could think in terms of, Sunday's when we all get to be Dominicans. <laughs> we all get to have the Mass be at the center, source and summit, it's maybe when we know that old practice of parishes that had evening prayer and vespers on Sunday. Or if our parish doesn't, we can do that with our family. Where we actually also get to maybe come together for the only time in the week and, and do an hour of the divine liturgy. It's a time when we can study scripture together. And of course, go on hikes and whatever and just be together living life as it were to the full, but precisely as Christians. Hearing the word, letting it overflow in our lives. Thank you very much for your time.
I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to, 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 to pass judgment on whether that was a mistake. But I think your, the beauty of your comment is simply this. If one goes to Saturday evening mass, clearly one needs to resist a temptation that could be connected with that of then not concentrating enough on Sunday itself being the Lord's Day. St. James Falls Church has a 7, seven o'clock Sunday evening mass. And I have gone to that sometimes. Right, right. Well, sometimes that's, that's very helpful. We, we, have, we have a couple minutes. If, 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 well, just if, there's, if there's any other questions, um, I'd be happy to take one. Yes. Can you explain, I'm sorry, I missed the first part of your talk. Um, as a server Dominican, you have a community in Front Royal, and we yeah. have people with, with the community at St. Catherine and Great Falls, and we at St. John have a community called Fra Angelica Prochak, and we're not totally together yet. But I just wanted to bring that to everyone's attention that if you want to join a Dominican third order community, there are a number of St. John parishioners that currently go to the Dominican House of Studies in Washington on the fourth Sunday of the month. And uh, we meet at 4 o'clock. We have a meeting, um, discuss whatever um, studies that we're doing. Then we pray the rosary with the, the friars. And then we participate in vespers with them. It's very beautiful. So I'd like to invite you to do that. But um, along with that, if you could just explain a little bit of, of like the practical act of life of you as a third I'd be happy to say a couple words, and thank you very much for, for pointing that out. Um, the Dominican vocation for me I, I, is just a great blessing in my life, and I, I, I smile every time I think of it and just think um, that God and His goodness has made it such that these amazing religious orders broaden, just, they, they just broaden the scope and include in the family those of us who have a lay life. No, they stay. It goes all the way back to the very beginning. They were laymen that wanted to connect themselves to the community of, of friars and nuns. And they were able to participate in very ways. Often it was, in, most of all, the proximity where there would be a friary, because of course it was a nunnery, and that's where it's easiest to do it. But I mean, if you are out in Royal, you don't that often get to go in. So you don't, don't have to be in immediate proximity. But the beautiful aspect of, again, God, God and His providence calls us to have the gift of that spirituality where we get to be a part of a family, where you know, being a part of that family, we have we have a special support, but we're also we're giving unique guidance. It, here's how we approach these problems. It's just it's such a grace to be able to say, ah, he, here's the spirit. Here's the unique ways that this family has succeeded in seeking the glory of God. And so, to, to be a layman, I mean, of course, I'm, I'm a teacher. If it happens to fit very nicely with being a teacher, it fits very nicely with being other things um, also. That it gives a certain direction, it gives a certain form to my private spiritual life, as well as it allows me to have a sense of community that otherwise I couldn't have, because now I have this community family of these Latin Americans, both here and more broadly. Of course, it makes you part of a family that extends into heaven, and whenever a feast day of a Dominican saint comes along, in a sense, of this is a member of my family. Of course, we're all members of one family as the church, but it's just these beautiful different levels. Thanks for, thanks for asking. Look at our home, including everything. The architecture of it, 
art within it, the schedule certainly within it. What's red here? Are there things really red here? What is ever heard? Is the music heard? <coughs> what kind of music is it? Is the television on? What's on it? Are there conversations? What are the conversations of this home about? For life is lived in the home. Or another way of looking at it is it, it, it should be. And of course, the other problem is if nobody's home, that's a problem. So how can we think in terms of, the, you know, the, 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 we speak of the family as a kind of domestic church. In certain ways, the home is like a monastery, isn't it? There's obvious differences. But perhaps there should be obvious similarities, too. Is the house itself a place of prayer throughout the day, yeah. a holy conversation, holy words. And a challenging aspect of that is just one part. I think it's something, it's sometimes it's good to realize things that will be challenging for us, but also are the things that we can most directly work on. Things such as, again, like radio and television. These are things we have direct and immediate control over. Could we make a large step towards bettering the atmosphere of the home by just taking certain simple steps right there? Again, what are we looking at? What are we listening to? What are we speaking of? By cultivating in our home, as John Paul II puts it, the atmosphere of Nazareth. I don't, I don't intend, when I say next to judge parents. God knows I have my own problems as a parent and I realize how these things are extremely difficult and so it's something that we just need to, to work together on. But I wonder sometimes whether some an obvious thing that John Paul II is referring to that parents might be missing when they're wondering why have some, many, all of my children seem to be very imbued by by values of the culture they were in. Well, is the house literally itself imbued with the sights, sounds, and smells of the Word of God? Or is it just, does my home look, sound, and smell like other homes of our culture that are not focused at all on being worried about the only thing we have to do is prepare ourselves to receive this word. I'll conclude by just the other thing that you have there in your handout is the Lord's Day. And I like it thinking about this point again simply because it's so eminently practical. It's something that we could just say, you know, sure, that's something we can do right now. We're doing better than we're doing right now. John Paul II's abstract letter on the Lord's Day. Sharing in the Eucharist is the heart of Sunday. But the duty to keep Sunday holy cannot be reduced to this. In fact, the Lord's Day is lived well. 
if it is marked from beginning to end by a grateful and active remembrance of God's saving work. That's pretty challenging, isn't it? It's, it's, it's a beautiful letter. I really highly recommend if you haven't looked at the rest of the um, John Paul's chapter with D.S. Delmeny on, on the Lord's Day. Putting it in, if I might put it in, by referring to the great Dominican theologian St. Thomas, what St. Thomas loves to say about Sunday is this. On Sunday, we should focus on doing, most of all, what we were created to do. In a sense, in a sense, it's, we might put it this way, Sunday is where we have the opportunity to, I don't think this is exaggerating too much, take it properly, to be like monks, to be like religious, those blessed religious who are called to be the signs all the time of the height of life that we're all called to in the next life. We all, though, have Sunday, which is set apart so that whatever my profession is, it doesn't matter anymore because I don't do it. I have been given that blessed freedom to set that aside and to live what my life is about. And St. Thomas also says, on Sunday, we do what we will do forever in heaven. That's what Sunday's about. So maybe we could think in terms of Sunday's when we all get to be Dominicans. We all get to have the Mass be at the center, source and summit. It's maybe when we know that old practice of parishes that had evening prayer and vespers on Sunday. Or if our parish doesn't, we could do that with our family. Where we actually also get to maybe come together for the only time in the week and and do an hour of the divine liturgy. It's a time when we can study scripture together. And of course, go on hikes, whatever, and just be together, living life as it were to the full, but precisely as Christians. Hearing the word, letting it overflow in our lives. Thank you very much for your that could be connected with that of then not concentrating enough on Sunday itself being the Lord's Day. The St. James in Paul's Church has a 7, seven o'clock Sunday evening mass and I have gone to that sometimes. Right, right. And sometimes that's, that's very helpful. We, we, have, we have a couple minutes. If, 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 there's, if there's any other questions, um, I'd be happy to take one. Can you explain, I'm sorry, I missed the first part of your talk. Um, as a third-order Dominican, you have a community in Front Royal, and we yeah. have people with, with the community at St. Catherine and Great Falls, and we at St. John have a community called Fra Angelica Prochak, we're not totally together yet. But I just wanted to bring that to everyone's attention, that if you want to join a Dominican 
third order community, there are a number of St. John parishioners that currently go to the Dominican Council studies in Washington on the fourth Sunday of the month. And uh, we meet at four o'clock, we have a meeting, um, we discuss whatever um, studies that we're doing. Then we pray the rosary with the, the friars, and then we participate in vespers with them. It's very beautiful. Wow. So I'd like to invite you to do that. But um, along with that, if you could just explain a little bit of, of like the practical act of life of you as a third order man. I'd be happy to say a couple words. And thank you very much for, for pointing that out. Um, the Dominican vocation for me I, I, is just a great blessing in my life. And I, I, I smile every time I think of it and just think um, that God and his goodness has made it such that these amazing religious orders broaden, just they, they just broaden the scope and include in the family those of us in the lay life. No, they stay. It goes all the way back to the very beginning. They were laymen that wanted to connect themselves to the community of, of friars and nuns. And they were able to participate in very ways. Often it was, in, most of all, the proximity where there would be a friary, because of course it was a nunnery, and that's where it's easiest to do it. But I mean, here we are out in Royal, we don't that often get it to go in. So you don't, don't have to be in immediate proximity. But the beautiful aspect of, again, God, God and His providence calls us to have the gift of that spirituality where we get to be a part of a family, where you know, being a part of that family, we have we have a special support, but we're also we're giving unique guidance. It, here's how we approach these problems. It's just it's such a grace to be able to say, ah, he, here's the spirit. Here's the unique ways that this family has succeeded in seeking the glory of God. And so, to, to be a layman, I mean, of course, I'm, I'm a teacher. If it happens to fit very nicely with being a teacher, it fits very nicely with being other things um, also. That it gives a certain direction, it gives a certain form to my private spiritual life, as well as it allows me to have a sense of community that otherwise I couldn't have, because now I have this community family of these late Dominicans, both here and more broadly. Of course, it makes you part of a family that extends into heaven, and whenever a feast day of a Dominican saint comes along, you sense of this is a member of my family. Of course, we're all members of one family as the church, but there's just these beautiful different levels. So, thanks for, thanks for asking.